Check. There we go. Good morning, everyone. Uh, so even though I had, I don't know, I think the conversation happened Wednesday or Thursday that I was going to be teaching uh, this evening and preaching this morning, that is not the least amount of time I've been given to prepare because I can remember waking up at 7.45 in the morning on a Sunday and being told, hey, you're preaching today uh, because pastor's voice was gone due to sickness or something like this. So compared to that, I had all the time in the world uh, to prepare for this message. And if I had known I was going to be preaching uh, this week, like last week, I probably would have done a two-part series or something like that. But instead, uh, we are still going to be in the Old Testament uh, we are still going to be looking at an Old Testament book because I really do like the Old Testament. I think it doesn't get enough attention in churches. I think it doesn't get enough attention in uh, Christian circles. Or when it does get attention, we tend to go towards the stories. We tend to go towards the narratives. Uh, Abraham, Moses, David, because those are things that we can follow and they engage us because they're stories about people. And oftentimes we skip over the wisdom literature, which teaches us how we should be living our lives. And so we're going to be, again, in some wisdom literature, but we're not going to be at the end of the book like last week. Last week was Ecclesiastes 12. This week, we're going to be in Psalm 1, and we're going to be reading the six verses in it. And what I want you to understand from this message and what Psalms 1 is presenting you with is that you have two paths. Righteous or wicked. And the path you take is determined by how you value the word of God. And, and much like I always do when I get up to preach, I do want to give you a little background on the book that we're going to be in. So the book we're going to be in is Psalms. And one of the best ways for us to understand the Psalms is for you to grab your Psalms. So in front of you, in your pew, you'll see a little brown book that maybe some of you have never picked up. It is called The Living Hymnal, Living Hymns. Uh, if you grab it and you open it up to the back of the front cover, so you're not even at the, you know, the nice title in Psalm number one, you're at this part here. You'll notice some things about this hymnal. One, some of the songs in it are incredibly old. Uh, Praise God from whom all blessings flow is from the Geneva Psalter in 1551. To give you an idea, that's when Martin Luther and John Calvin are around on the earth. So that's almost a 500-year-old song. Uh, the Keswick Doxology, 1623. And so the first thing I want you to see about this hymnal is that even though it was put together in the 1980s, I think it's from 1988, this version is, uh, it has songs in it that are literally centuries older than it. And the second thing I want you to understand is that this hymnal was put together with a purpose. They, they were not drawing names out of a hat when they were trying to determine the order that the hymnal, or that the hymns, would be listed in the hymnal. Those who compiled it, those who edited it together, had a purpose in where they placed the hymns. And the third thing I want you to understand about hymnals is that when you understand the history of the song you're singing, 
it tends to make it give you a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation for the song. So as an example, if you open your hymnal to the very first one, Living Hymns, hymn number one, it is, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. And you see the author's name, Liddy H. Edmonds, that's actually a pseudonym. Uh, her real name is Eliza Edmonds Hewitt, and this song was written uh, 1890 or 1891. We're unsure of exactly which year, but late into the 1800s. The author, Eliza Edmonds Hewitt, was born in 1851 in Philly, and when she grew up, she became a teacher. And as a teacher, she suffered a spinal problem. Uh, we're unsure if, it's a, if it was an injury or if it was a disease that she had. Uh, one story I heard when I was doing a little uh, history on this lady is that as a school teacher, uh, this was back in those times when you could hit children to discipline them as a school teacher. And she disciplined a young man, and the young man did not like the discipline. And when she turned around, he took the slate that they had to write on and threw it at her back. And that is what caused the injury. I don't know if that's true. I only saw one account saying that. But either way, as a young woman, she suffered a spinal problem. And it was so bad, she became a shut-in. And for years, she was a shut-in. And because she was unable to get to her church unable to get to her job, unable to go out and be around the people she loved, she fell into a depression. And at the same time as she shut in and falling into this very dark time, she is also being drawn into the word of God, especially the book that we're going to be in, the Psalms. And what she determined is that she was going to write poems and she was going to write songs for her church. So that even if she couldn't go to church and be around her congregation, she could still help her church. And so that's what she did. And thankfully, the Lord blessed her and sent healing. And over time, she was able to get back to church where she got involved in Sunday school. And her songs became famous around the world, uh, famous enough to be put in our hymnal. And so now when you read, my faith has found a resting place, and you see lyrics like, I trust the ever-living one, or my heart is leaning on the word, or my great physician heals the sick, you have a deeper appreciation for it because this is a woman who went to a very dark place due to an injury and came out of it praising the Lord. And so the reason I present you with the hymnal to explain the Psalms is because I want you to understand that when we get to the Psalms, we're not coming to a theological treatise. This is not the book of Romans, where you have to study every single word to make sure you get it, the argument just exactly right. And we're not coming to a narrative. We are not about to read the story of Abraham or Moses or David or any of those gentlemen. Uh, this is not a book of prophecy. You are not going to read predictions about the future. This is a song book. You are coming to a collection of songs. You are coming to a collection of poems that the Jewish people used to worship their God. And this is a collection that, is over, that took over a thousand years to complete. Because Psalm 90 was written by Moses. And some of the Psalms in books three and four of Psalm were written 
uh, by guys who lived at the time of Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel, those guys that you see at the end of uh, the books of history in Nehemiah and Ezra. So this was not written all at once. Sometimes we tend to think that when we come to a book because we read it as a complete whole. This was compiled over thousands of years. And the editors arranged these psalms in a specific way. There is a reason Psalm 1 is Psalm 1. Just like there is a reason My Faith Has Found a Resting Place is the first hymn in the book. When you read the lyrics or sing the lyrics of My Faith Has Found a Resting Place, it extols two things, salvation in Jesus Christ and reliance upon the word of God, which are two very, very important things to have up front in your songbook. So there's a reason Psalm 1 is Psalm 1. The Psalms span every human emotion. You have songs in here that are sung with instruments and choirs, sung by victorious kings and parades. You have songs in here that are sung by people who are just overcome with joy and overcome with gratitude and overcome with thankfulness. And you have songs in here sung by people under the boot, uh, people who are heavily oppressed by an pagan nation. And you have songs in here that are sung by individuals who are terrified and they're alone and they've been betrayed by friends and loved ones and strangers and they've been attacked. This book covers every human emotion. And so when we get into Psalm 1, when we read Psalm 1, we are going to listen to the opening song of the greatest collection of worship music that exists. You are listening to the opening number, track number one, of the greatest collection of worship music that has ever existed and will ever exist. That is what Psalm number one is. And when people come to the Psalms and they try and study it, uh, human beings like categories because they're easy to work with. Psalm 1 falls into a very unique category. There are only three psalms that fall into the same category as Psalm 1. The category it falls into is Torah psalms. There are other categories like uh, imprecatory psalms or royal psalms. This is a Torah psalm. The, the center of this psalm is the importance of the law of the Lord, the Torah. And there are only, it's Psalm 1, it's Psalm 19, and it's Psalm 119. Those are the three that make up the category of Torah psalms. So these are the greatest songs of God's people compiled for all humanity and it reveals the depth of the human soul and it reveals great truths about God, our sovereign king. And so with that in mind that you are coming to track number one of the greatest collection of worship music ever compiled, let's read Psalm number one. How Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
So the opening song to the greatest collection of worship music ever made presents us with two ways. Where he presents us with two paths. There is the way of the righteous and there is the way of the wicked. And this is something that is very common in biblical wisdom literature. Wisdom literature really gets right to brass tacks. You have two options in wisdom literature. Oftentimes your two options are either wicked or righteous or wise or foolish. Wisdom literature never presents you with a third option. You don't get a middle path. You don't get to spin your wheels and try and figure it out. You either choose one or you choose the other. The Bible makes that very clear. You're either going the right way or you're going the wrong way. To give you an, an illustration, uh, when Kirsten and I go out to visit her family, her family lives out in Indiana. It is about a nine to 10 hour drive, depending on weather and traffic and how many stops we make and all that stuff. It's about 600 miles. Uh, and most of the trip, you're either on I-80 or you're on US 30 West. Uh, about 200 miles on I-80, about 200 miles on US 30 West. But between I-80 and US 30 West, there's a couple different roads that we have to get on, a couple different interstates that we have to hop onto for a short period of time to make sure that we get to US 30 West. And this is something you're probably familiar with if you've ever driven a distance on an interstate or across country or into other states. Sometimes you're in a two-lane road and there's a sign that goes over the road. It doesn't just hang out on one side, it covers the entire road. And it says, left lane, this way, right lane, this way. And what that sign is telling you is, you have two options. And those two options are coming very quickly. You are either going to go left, or you are going to go right. You don't have a third option. You can't hit the brakes and stop your car in the middle of the interstate. Because then you endanger yourself, the people in your vehicle, and the people behind you. And you can't ram yourself into the middle thing that's going to separate the two roads. That is also not an option because you end up in the same place, uh, endangering yourself, the people with you, and the people around you. So you're either going to go left, in our case, US 30 west, or you're going to go right, US 30 east. And once you make that decision, you're either going the right way or you're going the wrong way. There, there isn't a middle option here. And this is what wisdom literature presents you with in scripture. If you take a wrong turn, you're going the opposite direction you want to go. If you are choosing the path of the wicked, you are going away from the path of the righteous. And if you choose the path of the righteous, you are going away from the path of the wicked. But you have to make a choice. And if you're trying to take the option of, I'm not going to choose, you have taken the way of the wicked. Wisdom literature does not allow you to not choose. God's word does not allow you to not choose. So when it presents us with the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked, these are your two options. So let's look at option number one, the way of the righteous. This is verses one to three. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So this is our first option, and it introduces us to a category of person, the blessed, those who are highly favored by God, those who enjoy God's divine grace. And as the reader, 
as the singer. Whether you're a Jew 2,500 years ago or you're sitting in the pew today, this is the category you want to be a part of. You want to be a part of the group that is highly favored by the Lord. You want to be part of the group that is blessed. And in verse 1, and actually all throughout Psalm 1, he uses, the psalmist uses a poetic device, and it's this really big term. It is called antithetical parallelism. I know, we use these big fancy words uh, when it comes to poetry. Basically what that means is, and this is something you'll see all through the Psalms and the Proverbs especially, they're going to introduce a topic in line number one, and then in the following lines, they're going to introduce the opposite of it. So line number one, How blessed is the man? So we're introduced to the category of blessing, and then we're introduced to the exact opposite, because this is not what they do. And this exact opposite is walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the path of sinners, and sitting in the seat of scoffers. So first, the blessed do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So the first thing those in this category of blessed don't do, or to put it a different way, the first thing that those in the category of the wicked do is they take advice from evil people. They, They take the counsel of the wicked, and they walk according to that advice. So they walk according to the the advice of evil people. That is how they live their life. That is how they align their life. The second thing the blessed don't do is stand in the path of sinners. They do not position themselves with those who give themselves to sin. And I do want to make it clear when Psalm 1 is using the term sinner, it's not in the general sense of we are all sinners. It is more specific. It is in the sense that this is someone who is giving themselves to sin. It is not the righteous person who is struggling against sin and who still fails. It is the person who just gives in. To use kind of an illustration from the verse, nor stand in the path of sinners. If you've ever seen a movie or a documentary, or maybe done it yourself, um, of a trailblazer, these are the people who go into the wilderness first and they blaze a trail. Sometimes literally they, they set the trail on fire and that's how they clear out the place. Sometimes they hack it up with machetes or whatever it may be. And then as the trail is used, it widens and it becomes a path. And so the idea here with sinners is not just that they fall into sin. It's that they've blazed the trail into sin and they're so familiar with it, it's become a path. That these are people who are used to sinning, who just freely go into sinning. And the third thing that the blessed do not do is they do not sit in the seat of scoffers. They do not make company with scoffers. They do not join themselves to mockers of God and mockers of his word. And even though we often think of mocking as a verbal thing, kind of like an insult or a bullying. Uh, Mocking is very much a lifestyle as well. Mocking is very much seen in your actions. So these would be those people who not only speak against God and his law, but whose lifestyle openly defies God's law 
and openly breaks God's law and openly mocks God's law through their actions. This is what the blessed do not do. And notice the progression that's given in verse 1. First, it starts with taking their counsel. You're taking their advice. These are now people that you're letting into your life to actually influence your actions. And then, because you've been taking their advice, you start to stand with them. You start to defend them and their actions. You start to position yourself with them. And then it ends with you being so comfortable around these people and being so familiar with these people that you sit among them. Not as Jesus did with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, but as one of the sinners, as one of those who have given themselves into sin. But Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so the blessed, those in the category of the blessed, don't behave this way. They do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. They do not stand in the path of sinners. They do not sit in the seat of scoffers. They get their advice. They take their stand. They sit among God's word and those who follow it. That's in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's where they get their advice from. That's what they take their stand on is the law of God. This is why this is a Torah psalm, because it is going to push for God's law being the center of one's life. They delight in the law of the Lord. That means that they have great happiness in the law of the Lord. They enjoy being in God's word, and they meditate on it. They reflect deeply on his word and on his law. And so we go from the wicked who take counsel among the wicked and who stand in the path of sinners to the one who delights in and meditates on the law of the Lord. And verse 3 is a simile, which is another poetic device, to describe for us what the blessed person is like. He will be like a tree. Firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. A tree firmly planted by streams of water. This is an illustration that is used quite often in scripture. Uh, Psalm 92 uses it. Jeremiah 17 uses it. Ezekiel 19 uses it. The tree has some qualities because it is planted by a stream of water, because it is near the source of life and it is drawing from the source of life. And the qualities that it has is that it's, it yields fruit and its leaf does not wither. In other words, to kind of take that out of poetic language and to put it into more modern language, uh, it is a healthy, productive, long-lasting tree. It is a tree that is useful. It is a tree that is good. It is a tree that is going to be around, that is reliable, that is going to produce fruit, that is going to be healthy. And this is the blessed way. This is the righteous way. And this is the opening message of the entire book of Psalms. Someone in the category of blessed does not surround themselves with wicked people, does not take their advice, 
Instead, they delight in and meditate on the word of God. And so to be part of the blessed category, to be on the path of the righteous, you have to love this book. You have to be in this book. You have to be reading this book, meditating on this book, letting this book impact your heart and your hands as well as your mind, letting it change how you live so that you live more like Jesus Christ, so that you are becoming more righteous in your actions and in your words and in your reactions and in your thoughts. Because in this book are the very words of life. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us, this is the book that is good for the Christian. It teaches them. It corrects you and reproves you. And it trains you for righteousness and it equips you for every good work. So the way of the righteous, the blessed person, loves the word of the Lord. And this is option one. This is the good option. But if there's an option one, there's also an option two. And we are introduced to option two in verse four. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked are not so. The wicked are not like a tree planted by streams of water. The wicked do not produce good fruit. The wicked do not have good foliage. The wicked are not long-lasting. In fact, in another example of antithetical parallelism, verse 3 presents us with an illustration of the blessed, of the righteous. Verse 4 presents us with an illustration of the wicked. It is a very, very different illustration that the psalmist uses. The wicked are like chaff, which the wind drives away. For those of you who don't know what that is, uh, you can actually, there are people who still, who still do it the same exact way that the Jews would have done it thousands of years ago. What you would do is you would harvest your wheat, and then you would take your bags of wheat, and you would go up someplace very high where there was a lot of wind. Uh, usually people, uh, mountainous regions, especially in South America, still do quite a bit of this, uh, as well as in Asia, they still do quite a bit of this. You would take your wheat up to a really tall place, a hill, a mountain, something like that, and you would set out some kind of cover on the ground, and you'd pour all your wheat out. All the stuff that you harvested, you pour it all out until it's a big pile. And then what you do with you and your farmer buddies is you grab your pitchforks or you grab your shovels, you scoop in, and you throw it in the air as hard as you can. And the reason you do this is because you are trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. See, wheat is smaller and it's solid. So when it goes up, it comes right back down. It doesn't flutter away in the breeze. Chaff is much more like paper, like little strips of paper that are kind of around the wheat as part of the protection, as part of the plant. So when you throw up the pile of wheat and chaff, because there is a strong breeze, the wheat goes up and it comes back down, but the chaff just flutters away. The chaff, much like paper, just... And you just keep doing that for hours 
until your chaff has blown away and all you are left with is the good stuff. All you're left with is the wheat. That is the illustration we're given, that the wicked are like chaff. The blessed are like a tree. In Old Testament thought, trees are probably the oldest thing you can point to uh, outside of the Lord. Uh, Trees are often used to illustrate age because we know that trees can live hundreds if not thousands of years. In fact, there are some trees on planet Earth that were there when Jesus Christ walked the Earth. There are some trees that are incredibly old. So the blessed, they last a long time. They produce a lot of fruit. They are green. They are good. They are healthy. The wicked are like chaff. They are the refuse. They are literally the stuff that you want to throw away and get rid of because it is of no value. That is what the wicked are compared to. And this illustration is important to understand because of verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand at the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The idea, because you see the therefore, is that because they're like chaff, they can't withstand a breeze. Chaff can't withstand a breeze. How on earth is it going to withstand the judgment of God? And they don't stand in the assembly of the righteous because they're chaff. Because the thing you want to do is remove them from the good stuff. Is to get them away from the good stuff and to throw them away. So we have, instead of longevity and fruit and productivity, we have brevity. We have waste. And there is a coming judgment that the wicked will not be able to stand in. If you flip just a few pages to Psalm 9, verses 7 and 8, you read this. Uh, Psalm 9, verse 7. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. And he will judge the world in righteousness. And he will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. So God is going to judge. He's going to judge all peoples. This is something that we saw in Ecclesiastes as well. Wisdom literature often has the final judgment of God in mind when it encourages you to live righteously. God is going to execute judgment and it is going to be righteous. And it is going to be equitable. Everyone is going to be treated fairly when it comes to God's judgment. And the righteous will stand in the judgment. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you will stand in this judgment. You do not need to fear this judgment. This is a judgment for rewards for you. But if you are of the wicked, you have every reason to fear this judgment. Because like chaff, when the judgment comes, you are not going to stand. You are not going to be counted among the righteous. You have no place among the righteous. For the Lord knows, verse 6, the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And again, this is a very common theme in wisdom literature, that the righteous enjoy the favor of the Lord and the protection of the Lord and the guard of the Lord, and the wicked perish. The wicked face destruction. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. So these are our two options. These are our two ways. You have the way of the righteous, with the blessed, and you have the way of the wicked, with the wicked. What's the dividing line? Because at some point, these two roads have to split. They have to become distinct from each other. 
So what's the dividing line? What, what's the dividing line that determines, am I on the path of the righteous, becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, or am I on the path of the wicked, giving into sin and falling into sin and living a life of sin? Well, the dividing line, the thing that separates these two, is the Word of God and how much you value it. And I don't just mean like you know the Sunday school answer of, yes, the Word of God is important. I mean in your practical day-to-day life, how much do your actions tell us you value God's Word? You only have two paths. The righteous or the wicked. And the path you take is determined by how you value the Word of God. Do you delight in it? Is it something that you enjoy being in? Is it something that you look forward to when you have your time to study the Word of God or to read the Word of God and to just be alone with the letter that the creator of the universe has left for you? Or do you scoff at it? And maybe you don't scoff at it openly. Maybe you don't scoff at it in your words. But when someone confronts you about sin, and maybe it's a sin that you think isn't such a big, just, just not a big deal. Like, you know, picking on someone or gossiping or being proud or being jealous or being envious. And when someone comes and confronts you and says, you shouldn't be doing that, that is sin, that is wrong, do you just shrug it off? That's no big deal. Even though the Lord has told you it's a very big deal. Do you scoff at it or do you delight in it? Is it your meditation? Is it what guides and directs your thoughts and your actions? Or do you stand against it? Because it was written a long time ago and some of the stuff is a little outdated and we could probably do without this portion and without that portion. And we don't really need to listen to that or this because it's current year and we don't have to worry about that. We know a little bit better than the Lord does now. We're, we're figuring it out a little bit better than the Lord is. So yeah, I like the Bible, but this thing, no. Uh, It's wrong here. I don't have to listen to it here. Do you stand against it? And this is what the psalmist presents as the opening to the people of Israel. Before you sing any of these other songs in this Psalter, before you stand in the temple of the Lord, before you stand among the congregation of God's people, before you sing them to your children to pass on the knowledge of God to them, what path are you on? Do you love the law of the Lord? And Christian, before you come to church and sing in the congregation, before we play your favorite song and we sing your favorite song and you get that emotional high that passes by the time lunchtime lunchtime is here, do you love the law of the Lord? Are you on the path of the righteous? Or have things been slipping? In the craziness of life, in the busyness of life, have things been slipping? Has your Bible reading been slipping? Have you been getting angrier or more anxious? Have you been getting more proud? Have you been getting more prone to sin? Because you only have two options. The Bible does not present you with a third. So the encouragement that the psalmist is giving us, the encouragement that I am giving you, is that now is the day to orient your heart. It is time for a reorientation if you find yourself on the path of the wicked. 
Orient your heart and your life to the right way. Choose the way of the blessed. Delight in the law of the Lord and be like a tree planted. No longer scoff at it when it especially confronts you about the sin that you know is in your life. No longer stand among those who openly disobey it. Delight in the word of God and meditate on it day and night. That is the encouragement for the righteous person from the psalmist. Be in it often. Think on it often. Let it impact your actions. Let it impact your life. Let it work in you so that you are becoming more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through it. You don't get a middle option. You do not get to spin your wheels and wait it out. You are either going to be on the path of the righteous or you are going to be on the path of the wicked. And the good news is, if God's word has convicted you during this, unlike when you're on the interstate and you take the wrong turn, uh, there is an immediate turnaround. There is an immediate U-turn. And that is called repentance and forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, as Pastor Larry lovingly calls the Christian's bar of soap, is a promise to you, dear Christian, that if you come to the Lord and you confess, you confess the sin in your life, that you haven't been taking God's word seriously, you've been wasting time with other things that could be better spent learning from God's word, you haven't been giving it the priority that it is, when you turn from those, admitting that they are wrong, and you return to the Lord asking for his forgiveness, he gives it to you every single time. And you can immediately turn from the path of the wicked to the path of the righteous through repentance and seeking the forgiveness of the Lord. And then today, because it's as good a day as any, begin working on the path of the righteous. Make it a point to be in God's word daily. To let it impact how you think and how you act and how you feel and how you react and the words you say the relationships and the friendships you have so that you are becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, not less like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for another day that you've given us. I thank you for your word. And I thank you that throughout it, we have chapters like Psalm 1, that tell us about its importance, that remind us once again that this is your word. This is how we get to know you, our Lord and our God. This is how we know about your son, Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for us. This is how we know about the multitude of blessings that you have given us. This is how we know about your rules and your laws and what is right and what is wrong. Draw us to it. Help us to love it and delight in it, and meditate on it. I pray for any who are here who have let it fall to the wayside in the craziness of life. Life gets busy. Life can get busy really, really, really fast. I pray that through your word and through Psalm 1 and through this morning, that they're able to reorient their lives. That with the accountability of a spouse or a friend or whomever it may be here in the church, they are able to begin being in your word daily, growing more like your son, Jesus Christ, because this should be our delight. This should be our meditation so that we can learn more about you 
about what you have promised us, about what you have called us to do as Christians, and about all of the blessings that you have bestowed on us as Christians. Help us to love your word each and every day. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.